0: Support for Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio is made possible by M&M Printing and the Observer News of Ruskin. Hello and welcome to Veterans Corner Radio podcast, information for and about veterans. Today, host Bill Hodges has a conversation with Dr. Caesar E. Ercole, chief of urology at the James A. Haley VA Hospital in Tampa, Florida. Dr. Eric Lee is very knowledgeable in the field of prostate cancer. He has a very calming personality, and his explanations help put patients at ease. In this show, he speaks on some new treatments and the fact that since there is no profit motive at the VA, almost every possible treatment is offered. Here now is Bill Hodges with Veterans Corner Radio on Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts. Welcome to Veterans Corner, a show dedicated to providing information to all those who have served our country's military and to their families. Now, here is your host, newspaper columnist, management trainer, and Air Force veteran, Bill Hodges.
1: Hi, I am Bill Hodges, and this is Veterans Corner Radio. And I have a gentleman that's going to be on the show with me today, Dr. Caesar Ercoli. And Dr. Ercoli has been with me for a long time. I'm presumptive to say we've become friends, but at least I know him pretty well. And and, you know, here's the thing, I trust him with my life. And that's an important factor. Welcome to the show, doctor.
2: Thanks, Bill. It's it's always great to be here and I really appreciate it. So yeah, I'm Cesar Erickler, one of the urology oncologists here at the Tampa VA. And and I will say that I think I, I consider you a friend the one of those things of, of prostate cancer that allows us to grow grow old together
1: <laughs> it, it's been probably 10 years since i first saw you and i i remember my wife and i coming in after that diagnosis to sit down and talk with you and, and honestly we were scared to death
2: yeah and i think the you know the biggest thing about that first visit is is to try and get past the word cancer Uh, Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to get that diagnosis. But different to to other cancers that I usually deal with, such as kidney cancer, bladder cancer, testicular cancer, prostate cancer affords you time. The the workup to get to the diagnosis does take some time to get there. But it's rare, if ever, that once you get diagnosed that we have to do anything with urgency. So it allows us to have a good conversation of all the different treatment options, what all the different numbers mean, and then to have a good understanding that the decision you make on how to, to move forward with the treatment is what resonates most with you, your family, and, and that it's in agreement with your, your life goals as well.
1: You know, if I'm not wrong, the Gleason score, which people are generally rated upon, actually started with a VA doctor. Is that not true?
2: Yeah. So it started out with Dr. Gleason. Uh, he was a pathologist up in the VA in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where I'm from. But in his time, there was no PSA. And so what he was trying to do is to figure out how to come up with a scoring system that would then allow for the urologist to better counsel the patient to say like, this is how your prostate cancer is going to act. And his scoring system is we can really simplify it to just say that it's it's the pattern of the cells or the gland under the microscope, and those patterns can be very organized, which would be a pattern one, uh, or very disorganized and concerning, and that would be a pattern five. And so he took it a step further and he said, okay, I've identified these five uh, patterns, and if I can tell you what's the most predominant pattern, and what comes in second place, that then you can add them together and get a better sense of how that is going to behave. Oh, and so. Yeah, so in his time, uh, at best, you could be a one plus one or two overall, or at worst, a five plus five, 10 overall. And as we have learned more about the natural uh, disease progression and, and brought in PSA uh, that came in 1992, uh, we have a much better understanding of how prostate cancer behaves. Uh, so we don't report the twos, uh, sorry, the ones anymore or the twos anymore. We only start to report if we start to see a pattern three. And so the scale went from a two to 10 to a six to 10, right? So if your predominant pattern is pattern three and your secondary pattern is pattern three, essentially all the same, that's how you get to your six. Oh, okay. So the one caveat about that now, though, is that we've kind of moved away from from the Gleason score and we've moved to the grade groups. And the grade groups, the scale there goes from one to five. And intuitively, it makes a little bit more sense. I still, when I first meet with you, I will explain the the Gleason score, but the grade groups is a little easier to understand just because it goes from one to five and we don't have to go into each of those details as far as like the the patterns present because it kind of simplifies things a little bit. And I think it makes it a little easier for that first visit uh, just not to throw so many numbers at you.
1: You know, obviously when my wife and I came in, we were scared to death. Uh, I've had a mother die of cancer uh grandfather actually two grandfathers so cancer was prevalent in my family and i needed something easy and good to see and the drawings and everything you laid out for us of how this all worked were very very good
2: yeah i'm i'm kind of a very visual person myself and and so i think it helps to to kind of see you know, what what you're you're dealing with, right? Because that, that unknown really, I think, is what, what's is scariest. And as we start to go through the different numbers and what they mean, like your PSA trend, your pathology overall, whether you did a, a biopsy with an MRI or you did a biopsy that was a regular um, uh, uh, transrectal ultrasound biopsy without the MRI, just all these different things, what they mean and how they come together for us to risk stratify you. Meaning that, you know, Let's get that much more information to say, like, okay, is this a, a low-risk disease, an intermediate risk disease, or a high-risk disease? And what that is getting at is, if we do upfront aggressive therapy, what that means is the the probability of this coming back, okay? And as I mentioned earlier, as we've learned more about the natural disease progression of prostate cancer, there's a lot of prostate cancer that we diagnose that we just monitor. And then there are others that, you know, we have. And that's been me. Yes, and that's definitely been new. And I think that we've we've you know we try to build a story uh, to say that you know we are on the right path. And what's nice about that story is that that we have good outcomes that way, but also that we maintain quality of life and we don't try and do something to to treat the anxiety of the cancer uh, that that might be brought about. So we can be very uh, objective, right? We follow the guidelines. Uh, both from from the AUA, the American Urological Association, as well as the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, that help us treat prostate cancer with evidence based medicine. So you know, it's not like my protocol; it's it's something that you know it's it's respected nationally and internationally.
1: Yeah, I to me, it's extremely important to be able to understand that there are all kinds of different choices that I can make, and one is to do nothing.
2: Yeah. So, you know, here we have started to rely a lot more on getting an MRI up front. So most of the patients that come in with an elevated PSA, if they're eligible to get an MRI, um, we'll have them get the MRI. And what I like about the MRI is that it looks at the whole prostate, Uh, not just at what I can feel with my finger. And I have pretty short fingers, right? So (laughs) I can't quite feel everything about you, right? Yeah. And so, but it lets us see, you know, it's, it's almost like looking into the crystal ball a little bit right? Because it gives us a sense of like, you know, we know prostate cancer can be uh, multifocal. We can tell how close it is to the edge of the prostate. And then it looks at the other organs that are close by, whether it be the bladder and the rectum to see if there's anything that's involving that, the seminal vesicles, the lymph nodes in the area and the bony structures in the area. And so unlike uh, a traditional biopsy, where like, if this is the prostate on the screen that we're seeing on the ultrasound, that we would say, this is the left side, that's the right side and do you know, 12 biopsies based on that, that the radiologist is able to say like, Hey, I'm worried about that spot right there. All right. Uh-huh. And then we can Take those MRI images and we can overlay them with the ultrasound. And now we can specifically go after that spot, right? We call that the index lesion. And that's probably what's driving the change in the PSA. And instead of taking one core from that area, we usually take multiple cores. So if we go back to thinking about, okay, we, we, categorize the the cancer based on the pattern that's present, you get that much better sampling of that area of concern. And so I can truly tell you what is the most predominant pattern, what is the secondary pattern, and then the different treatment options that come about from that.
1: I want to go back to there is no profit motive. So there's no need in the part of a department within the VA to hurry a treatment so they make a profit off of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I would assume that like everybody in the VA as well as like the community, the, the main drive is is the patient's best interest. Right. And so in my experience. Yeah. And so we, you know, we, we do try and take a, a, a multidisciplinary approach here. And so, you know, for the patients that have low risk prostate cancer, we usually recommend for active surveillance. And so that would mean that we routinely will check up TSA probably every six to 12 months. And then every so often, we would check the MRI, right, to to, if they're eligible for that. Uh, For patients that have intermediate risk or or high-risk disease, the two options there that you add to that is to consider getting surgery for it uh, with a robotic approach, which is what what I do, uh, or to go talk to our our radiation oncology colleagues and talk to them about different treatments of radiation, whether it be with external beam radiation or brachytherapy. Uh, and then in combination with uh, hormone therapy or androgen deprivation therapy.
1: Is there an age that finally you say, wait, the, the risk is not worth the result?
2: Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. And I think that the guidelines talk a lot about shared decision making. I'm always a person also that likes to know what might be there and not miss something. And so my, my preference is to usually do the workup and not worry too much so much about like, you know, how old you are in that sense, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to act on it, right? So if we do find something that, that we talk about it, we have a conversation about it. I always say that we're a team. I may be the team captain, um, but if I don't have everybody on board, it's not going to work, right? And so I think that's important to know that like, yes, even though we may find something, it doesn't mean that we automatically have to treat And so, you know, living and working in Florida, I have some patients that are in their 70s that, that, you know, look far better than those that are in their 50s. So I don't think it'd be fair to automatically say like, hey, you know, if you're this age, we're not going to do the workup. Now, the guidelines do state that like, you know, for patients that are over 70 and especially over 75, that that shared decision making does come into a little bit more of play in the sense of saying it's like, okay, if we do aggressive therapy, what does that mean in the sense of what you're gaining long term? right? Meaning how much longer are you going to be with us if we do treat versus watching or not even addressing it?
1: And maybe even shoving it down the line if it needs to be done later.
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, the important thing to recognize about the active surveillance is that you're not really burning any bridges by by doing active surveillance, right? So like all the treatment options always start with surgery or considering surgery or radiation with the hormone therapy. So if you are on the access realness protocol, and then, you know, we know that prostate cancer is a disease of getting older, right? So there is a probability of something new coming about or it progressing that we would just do the same workup and then determine now, okay, are you still in the same risk category or did you, you know, get upgraded? And then we go over those uh, treatment options at that time again.
1: And we also know that most of us, if we live long enough, we'll have this hit us.
2: Yes, so there's definitely, um, uh, they've done different autopsy studies as well as uh, uh, seeing that there, there is a percentage of patients that will have prostate cancer in their 30s, but we don't screen for anybody that early because it just takes that long for it to declare itself. And so we know that for the, the greater population, for patients between the ages of 55 and 69, that that's usually the age group that we, we try to, to most certainly target. But as I said before, we we take it case by case uh, and discuss the the risks and benefits of, of going down that path.
1: Now, one final question. If I'm sitting out here as a patient and wondering I've got a history of cancer within the family, whether I have prostate cancer, what are some of the things that I might see or know that would cause me to trigger it?
2: Yeah, so more than likely, you're not gonna be symptomatic. All right. We just pick it up way too early. So it's rare that a patient comes in and says there's something wrong with me or that we have to uh, work them up because they come in complaining of something. So it's usually just based on the PSA, right? The blood test that you get with your primary care and the history and the, you know, the kinetics of that PSA, right? How quickly is it changing And, and where you've been? For me, most important is knowing that history. So sometimes we meet somebody that has a high PSA based on the lab values, but it doesn't I don't know where they've been before, right? So like, I don't know if it's just a spike that's going to come back down or if it's something that they've always been at that level. So uh, that's Or always, if
1: it'll just stay there and-, and Correct. I'd go big.
2: Right. And that's where, you know, again, we have that conversation and say, it's like, okay, your PSA, yes, is elevated based on, on the ranges that we see from the lab, but maybe you just stay there, right? So without really saying a cutoff that I would say that I feel, you know, secure enough because there's not- any low enough PSA for me to tell you, you don't have prostate cancer.
1: Dr. Erkely, I as usual, I, I learn something every time I have you on the air with me. And I thank you for making time in your day to be on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, those of you that go to the VA, I have to tell you, I've had great results with the VA. Those of you that listen to the mainstream press and hear what they have to say and Don't go to the VA are missing something. Give it a shot because you get doctors like this that really care. Thank you so much for being on the program. I'm Bill Hodges. This is Veterans Corner Radio. You're unique, you're special, and you're great. Tell yourself so often because you are, you know, and we'll talk to you again very soon on Veterans Corner Radio. And again, doctor, thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank
2: you, Bill. Best to you.
0: You've been listening to Veterans Corner with your host, Air Force Veteran Bill Hodges. The views expressed on this program are those of Bill and his guests and are opinions based on the best available information. In matters of law or governmental regulation, it will always be best to check with the appropriate agency. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next Veterans Corner. Before we go, here's a quick final thought. Why not take a minute to follow or mark Veterans Corner radio podcasts as a favorite? It's easy, and you'll be among the first to be notified when new episodes of the podcast are released. And thanks for listening to Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts.